Good morning. Glad to be back with you again for week two of this new series called Temples. If you were here last week, you know a little bit about why we're calling it Temples. And just to give you a quick recap of this series before we jump into today's topic, the reason that we're talking about temples is because the word temple is not an outdated word. It's not something that was locked up in the Old Testament and we just don't talk about it anymore and doesn't have any more application to our lives. No, what we talked about last week was the fact that God only dwells in temples. The name has not actually changed at all. The temple of the Garden of Eden, that was a temple. The, the tabernacle was a temple. The actual temple obviously was a temple, but Jesus himself actually was a temple of God. It's where God's presence dwelled. It was a place that was holy unto God. And we, the church, are actually referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we say the word temple, we're not using just an outdated term. In fact, we're referencing to the one place that God says His presence dwells. So we're looking at this whole concept of what does it mean for God to dwell with us. But before I jump into the topic today, I want to bring up something that I've noticed. Uh, I've seen a lot of commercials recently. They're, they're more comedic. But they're talking about how you eventually become your parents. And a lot of it's about how you don't want that to happen, but it just happens inevitably whether you like it or not. And one of the areas I've noticed this in is when I was younger, my parents would watch movies that I thought were just so stupid. Like I, they didn't have any comedic value to me. I didn't understand what was going on. But the truth is, now that I'm nearing 30, those movies are actually the movies that I like now. And I think part of it's because I understand the comedy. There were things that just went over my head when I was young that now is actually really funny. And one of those movies is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Has anybody ever seen that movie before? It's a, that's a classic. That, it really is a classic. But again, when I was younger, my mom, my dad, we would watch that movie all the time, and I just didn't understand it. I didn't think it was funny, you know. But now, man, there are so many great scenes in that movie. So many great scenes. But one of my favorite scenes is the moment when they're, they're having this, this wedding party. It's before the actual wedding. And there's a lot of comedy built around the contrast between uh, the bride's Greek family and the groom's family that's very not Greek. And them trying to figure out, you know, there's all kinds of mix, miscommunication and stuff like that. But one of those moments is when the groom's family shows up to the party and they bring a bunt cake. And they try to hand the bunt cake over to the bride's mom and she has no idea what it is. Yeah, bunt cake. Bunt cake. She can't even pronounce it. And someone whispers in her ear to let her know, oh, that's, it's actually a cake. She didn't even know it was a cake to begin with. So there's all this comedy built around that moment, but then it gets even heightened later on because they move on from that scene, they go into the party, there's all this stuff, and then later on in the night, the mom comes around the corner and she has the bun cake, but clearly she still does not understand what it is because she's taken a flower and put it right in the middle. Because the thing she couldn't get past was the fact that there was a hole in this cake. She did, there's no way this could be a cake. There's a massive hole in it. So she puts a flower in it and makes it into basically a flower pot and puts it on display. Now the reason I bring that up is not just because it's a funny story or scene in a movie, but I think that it has a very close parallel to what we often do with God's glory. 
And that's that we don't quite understand what we're supposed to do with it. It's like that, that bunt cake. We, we think, oh, okay, like this is a nice thing, but do we just put it on display? Do we not eat it? Do we not touch it? Do we just leave it there and kind of admire it? Or maybe it's kind of like that family heirloom that you have on the, the, a shelf somewhere in your house and it's very nice, it's, it's good to look at, but you know you're not allowed to touch it, you don't really know what the purpose is, but you know that it needs to be there and that it's, it's an important thing. And often I think that that just becomes the burning question that we have with God's glory is what do we do with it? Does it really have a purpose? Or is it just that shiny thing that we just let stay in the shelf and we just admire it from time to time and we say it's cool but it doesn't really have a purpose in our day-to-day life but as you can see i'm going to argue for the exact opposite of that i think that the glory of god has very relevant purpose in our life every single minute of the day now really quickly what does glory have to do with temples well the whole point of god dwelling in a temple is that he fills that temple with his glory. That's what happens every single time when God dwells in a temple. When the tabernacle was finally constructed and they consecrated it over to God, it says that God's glory filled the temple. And it says that it was so strong that the priests couldn't even go into the temple. When the actual temple was constructed and Solomon dedicated it to the Lord, the same thing happened. The glory of God filled the temple so mightily that they could not even go in. So there's a correlation between God dwelling in temples and God's glory being within the temple. So what is glory? Now we're going to get to our main verse today, and that comes from Exodus 33, 18 through 20. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, or if you want to scroll there in your Bibles, however you want to do it, it'll also be on the screen. But let me read this for you. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. If you remember last week, we talked about the moment where the Israelites failed miserably by worshiping the golden calf. And Moses goes in and intercedes on behalf of the Israelites because God says, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to travel with you anymore. He he essentially divorces them. He says, take off the ornaments that I gave you, which is like a wedding ring at that time. And he says, you can have the land because I promised it to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will no longer go with you. I will not establish covenant with you any longer. Well, Moses intercedes. And in that, he convinces God to stay with the people of Israel. So God says, I will stay. And it's in that moment that I believe Moses strikes while the iron is hot. Because God says, he tells Moses, he said, I'm I'm pleased with you. He says, you have found favor in my sight. It was a very uh, special moment between Moses and God. And right there, Moses goes for it. He says, now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. Now... Before we move on, we need to understand what exactly is glory. I think it's a very vague word. It's applied to many things. um, You know, sometimes it's us giving it to God. Sometimes it's just a fact about God and who He is. So what exactly is glory? Well, according to God Himself, it's His goodness. 
His glory is His goodness. When Moses said, show me your glory, God's response was, He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So essentially God says, oh, you want to see my glory? Oh, okay, I get it. You want to see my goodness. You want to see my goodness. How many of you believe that God is good? Do you believe God is good? All right, well then you've seen His glory. That's what His glory is. It is His goodness. I like what this uh, Dutch author and theologian said, T.H. Uh, Vriesen, uh, yeah, Dutch, says, The radiant power of God's being, as it were, the external manifestation of God's mysterious holiness. So it's the external manifestation of God's holiness. That's what it is. And I think that uh, a good way to look at this is if God is holy, and if God is unlike any other, then His glory is the proof. His glory is the proof. You can point at the glory of God and you can say, that is how I know He is unlike any other. That is how I know He's above any other name. It's because of that right there. The glory is the proof that God is holy and unlike any other. So let's actually get into it now. What do we do with God's glory? Well, the first thing is this. We pursue God's glory. We pursue God's glory. Now, I think there's two types of pursuit. There's a good kind and a bad kind. There's a kind that God honors, and there's a kind that God actually uh, abhors, that He condemns. And the first one we see with Jesus and he has this constant battle with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they don't really believe that he's the Messiah. They don't want to believe that he's the Messiah. They're jealous of him. They're jealous of the ministry that he has. And so constantly, what are they saying to Jesus? They're saying, do some kind of miracle and prove to us that you are the Messiah. So they're coming from a place of fear, and questioning and unbelief. And the way they go about it is actually offensive to God and to Jesus himself. Their request is laced with doubt and with skepticism. So they come to him and they make this request and it's absolutely faithless. There's not one ounce of faith in the request. It's just burst out of unbelief. And that's one way that they were pursuing the glory of God was out of a place of unbelief. And Jesus, how many times did he say, I'm not going to show you anything? I'm not going to show you anything. It's not because he couldn't do it. He was doing it plenty of other times. But from that place, from that pursuit, he's like, I'm not going to honor that. I'm not going to honor that. But then you have the pursuit that comes from a place of belief and a place of faith. Well, what is that? Well, I believe it looks like this. There's a lot about God that is actually hidden from us, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, that it's not accessible to us. And so what happens is, it's like you know it's there, but you can't see it. And so in faith, you're, you're telling God, I know that it's there, and I'm asking you to see it. And I believe that's what Moses was doing when he says, now show me your glory. He wasn't saying, I don't believe it's there. I think he was saying quite the opposite. I think Moses was saying, I know enough to know there's a lot more back there that I have not seen yet. And he's saying, God, please show me more. Please show me your glory. Show me your goodness. 
And this is the place that we must pursue God from. It's a place of faith. Church, do you believe that God wants to show you more of who he is? If you believe that, and that's where your request, that's where your pursuit comes from. God, show me more. God, show us more. We know there's so much more to who you are. Would you show us? Would you show us? And so I want to give you some practical ways that we can go about that in our day-to-day lives of pursuing God's presence. Well, here's a few right here. It's, it's a prayer. Pursuit is a prayer. It's a petition. It's a burning desire to see God and to know God. Now, within that, we need to account for the fact that Moses and the people of God in the wilderness, they learned very quickly that there are limits to the glory of God. There was actually physical boundaries to the glory of God. Now, for them, they were going up to a mountain. It was Mount Sinai. That's where God's glory was dwelling at the time. But before uh, they, were, they were able to move forward with God, he warns them in Exodus 19.21. He says, uh, God says to Moses, warn the people so they do not force their way up to see me. So right there, we see God putting an actual boundary marker up. He's warning them, saying they cannot force their way up to see me. There's a way to go about this. It's not going to be unorganized. It's not going to be barbaric. We're going to do this in a certain fashion. What happens is, for us today, I believe that it needs to become part of the order of this, is that it needs to become a substance in our prayer life. It needs to become a substance in our prayer life. You see, prayer is an active request. It's an act of faith. Did you know that? Prayer is in itself an act of faith. Because you are reaching out to God. You are calling out to God. And the first time that we ever see a human initiate a revelation of God's glory is Moses. And this is what he says. It's essentially a prayer. He says, now show me your glory. He does it from a place of faith, but it's in the structure of a prayer. Show me your glory. And you see, the reason why it needs to be a prayer is because I think one of the biggest pitfalls that we get ourselves into is we think that when God shows up, it's just because he decided to do it at that time. And we become awfully passive sometimes about seeing God and encountering God. But I don't see anything passive in what Moses did. I I see the exact opposite. I see an active pursuit of God. He wasn't waiting on God to show him his glory. He said, no, show me your glory. He was going after it. So many times we think, well, if God wants to show up, he's just going to show up. He's just going to show up. But here's the thing. His most powerful, his most intimate encounters are reserved for those who pray for it in faith. Yes, there's there's times that God's just going to show up because he's going to show up. But I think more often than not, the reason why he shows up is because we've asked him to. Because we've prayed about it. And look at this. Where does this where does this prayer start? Where does this petition start? You see, Moses when he said, "Show me your glory." He wasn't on the mountain of God. That's, he was actually in a tent that wasn't even inside the camp. He said it was in a tent outside of the camp. See, Moses had something called the tent of meeting. And he set it up, and that's where he would go and meet with God. 
And so he's in this tent and he's praying and he says, show me your glory. What's the tent for us today? You know what the tent is? The tent is in your car on the way over here on Sunday morning. It's before you even get in the building. You're already praying. You're already saying, God, we need you today. We need to see you today. God, I need to see you today. I need to be filled up by you today. You know what it is? It's here at 945 at the prayer meeting and in, in, in the gym before church even starts. That's the tent of meeting right there. We're already interceding for God's glory. You know what? It's right here in the sanctuary on Wednesday morning when they're praying. That's when we're already interceding for God's glory. To see God. To encounter His presence. You see, another thing that I love about Moses is he, he actually learns a little bit of a lesson here. You see, oftentimes in our times of worry and anxiety, when life is bearing down on us, uh, we try to control God. We try to control how God goes about addressing the issue. We say, God, you need, you need to do something right now. Right now, you need, to, you need to show me something. You need to do something. Because when we, don't, when we fear we don't have control, we try to take control. And oftentimes, we do it to God himself. And actually, I see a little bit of this in Moses himself. Notice how he starts it with now. He starts it with now. He doesn't just say, show me your glory. He says, now show me your glory. You see, Moses was actually feeling a little bit of anxiety in this moment because this is all wrapped up in the context of him wondering if God's ever going to walk with the people again. And so even though God has already promised him, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be with you, there's a sense of God still trying to calm Moses down, even though he's already told him, I'm going to go with you. And so Moses, still probably feeling a little bit of that anxiety, a little bit of that fear, says, now show me your glory. He tries to take control of the timing of when God shows up. We say, God, meet us right now. But what I love is this. God says, I'm going to show you. But then he gives him a time and he gives him a place. He says, be ready in the morning. And come up to the mountain, which is where my glory dwells. And this is where you will see my glory. You see, we don't control when, but we do control the prayers that get us there. God's glory isn't always where you asked for it. It doesn't always show up right then. I remember uh, years ago, I was helping somebody do some work um, at their house, and we were trying to dig this, this massive uh, root system out from this, this uh, bush, and we couldn't get it out. And he had this like spear-like object, and he was trying to get under it and get under it, and he couldn't do it. So finally, he hands me the spear, and I kid you not, on my first go, I jab right in, and I just hear, and it was a gas line. <laughs> so he, he freaks out. I'm like putting all this dirt on top of it. I'm waiting for the house to explode. You know, uh, he runs in, he calls Kyle Med to come out, or not Kyle Med, uh, yeah, NICOR to come out, and we're, you know, we're expecting the cavalcade to come in with this thing. We think it's such an emergency or whatever. And it was like 45 minutes before they showed up. This, this gas line is going and going and going and going. 
And then the guy gets there, and he just moseys out of the car. He's like, comes, no tools, nothing, just comes over. He's like, what do we got here? I'm like, yeah, we hit the gas line. It's like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, what are you guys just working on bushes or something? We're like, yeah, we're trying to get these out. It's like, oh, okay, cool. And then he goes back to his car. He just takes his time, finally comes out. He's having a full conversation with us as he's fixing the line. I was waiting for him to light a cigarette, seriously. Like, I couldn't believe how nonchalant he was about this whole thing. But I think it's so, I think it, it just encapsulates how we think something is so urgent in the moment. But we realize it's really not that urgent. It's really not that urgent. And it's going to get solved. It's going to get taken care of. And we see God do this with Moses. He sets up an appointment essentially with him. He says, look, I know, I know what you're feeling right now, but I'm going to give you a time and a place to come and meet with me. And I'm going to show you my glory. Well, I just, I, I can't miss the fact that he says, be ready in the morning. Be ready in the morning and come to my house. What does that sound like, HRCC? What does that sound like? In the morning at my house. Yeah, it sounds like church to me. Sounds like the place where God's glory is, where he dwells, where his people dwell. You see, when you come to church, when you come to church, this is the place that God has chosen for his glory to dwell. This is the temple of God. And he says, no matter what you are facing throughout the week, I know a time and I know a place that you can come to and my glory is going to be there. My glory is going to be there. You see, here's something that I've noticed about the gathering of God. The outpouring of the Spirit when the people of God are gathered together, is so much greater than anything else you'll ever experience. And I can, I can testify, and I'm sure many of you can testify, to the things that you've maybe encountered just alone in your home or in your car as you've been praying or worshiping. And those times are so sweet, they're so amazing, but there is nothing, nothing, nothing like when God's presence falls on His people. There is nothing like it. And there's a reason for it. Because God has said, this is where my glory dwells. This is where my glory dwells. I'll never forget a few years ago when we were on youth retreat in Lake Geneva. It was a Saturday night. And we got to worshiping. And we got to praying. And the glory of God hit that place so hard. Students were laid out on the floor. They couldn't even get up. They couldn't even get up. I remember one kid, he was so overcome by the Spirit of God, he could not stop saying, Jesus, I love you, for about two and a half hours. He could not stop saying it. It was not his own, his own doing. The presence of God was just so heavy on him, all he could say was, Jesus, I love you. And he was just on his knees, saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Another kid we found out later, this is incredible, he told us that he gave his life to Christ that night. And when I had him right here on this platform to share from the youth group, I said, so who, who did you talk to? Who, like, who led you in the prayer? And he said, no one did. He said, I was sitting in my chair and I had my eyes closed. And he said, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and show me all these things in my life. And then he said, and then I gave my life to Christ right there. No one even spoke to him. Holy Spirit said, oh, you guys are busy? I'll take care of this one right here. Don't worry, I got this. I got this one covered. I had never seen anything like that before. But what happened, it was the meeting place of God's people. We came 
together. And he said, I'm going to show up and show you my glory. But I can tell you, there was a time when I was in school out in California. And I decided that instead of going to class one day, I was just going to take a day for me. And I remember I kind of wrestled with it a little bit. Like, I, th- I think I should go to class. But, you know, I have, we had a certain allotment of days that we could miss. And I was like, I can, I can afford to miss this day. I'm not going to get in trouble or anything like that. So I'm like, I'm just going to stay back. I napped. I rested. Took my time. Didn't go to class that day. But we had a, a small group that we were required to do as part of the, the class that was going to meet later that, that day. So my plan was I'm not going to go to class, but I'm going to meet them at Barnes & Noble, which is where we decided to meet at the time we decided to meet. And I'll do that required part of my, my class that day. So I got to Barnes & Noble right around the time that class was getting out. And I expected them to be there within about 10 minutes. It wasn't that far from uh, the Barnes & Noble where they were at. And it was probably about 45 minutes to an hour before they finally showed up. And I just had this nagging feeling that I have missed something. I have missed something. And so we were sitting inside the kids section at Barnes and Noble and they come up and sure enough, they told me, hey, we're sorry that we were so late, but the presence of God hit that place so hard. He said, there was probably a thousand students just in the presence of God. And they're like, we couldn't leave. We, we just couldn't leave. And I remember the sense that day of man, Man, did I miss it. Man, did I miss it. And if I can just leave this with you, if I can get really real with you for a second, I just wonder how many times the enemy whispers in our ear and says, hey, don't worry about being late for worship. Don't worry about it. You know what? You got errands to do today. You got stuff to do today. Don't worry about church on Sunday. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, God's like, if you would please just come here. If you would please just come here, I have something for you, but it's here. I need you to come here. This is where it's at. And church, I just need to challenge you. Why do we come to church? This is where the glory of God is at. This is where the glory of God is at. We can't afford to miss the glory of God. And if that means waking up a little bit earlier, then wake up a little bit earlier. If it means shifting around your schedule, if you can, and do errands at a different time, then do it. Guys, this is where God's glory is. Thanks for letting me share that with you. You see, sometimes in Scripture, these moments where God meets with people are called theophanies. And a theophany is when God actually shows up. He actually shows up with His presence. And what happens a lot throughout Scripture is when God would show up in these theophanies, it would lead to somebody giving Him a new name. And it's one of my favorite features of Scripture is all throughout it, you see a new name for God pop up. And it's, it's, it's just something attached on to Jehovah. So it's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. It's just something that they've learned new about God. And they give a new name to it. And the reason for this goes all the way back to the beginning of the story in Exodus. See, Moses, when God is calling him, it's in his fear and in his questioning if he's really the right one. If he's really the right one to do this thing that God has called him. He's all afraid. He's saying, look, I got a stuttering problem. I can't speak. I'm I'm, I'm all this. I'm, I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not this. And finally, God says to him, 
I am who I am. I am who I am. The interesting thing is that God actually doesn't directly answer the question that Moses had. Moses' question was, if I go to the people of Israel and say that you have spoken to me, he says, who am I supposed to tell them spoke to me? And he tells Moses, I am who I am. And then right after that, he says, tell them that I am sent you. Well, that was the actual answer to his question. But before that, before that, he says, Moses, before you do anything, you need to know who I am. So he tells him, I am who I am. Now, the interesting thing about this name is it means so it's so diverse in its meaning. And, and this is what I mean by that. I am who I am means I am right now. At the moment that he spoke to Moses, he was all that he would ever be. I am right now. I don't need anything to support me. I am self-sufficient. I am who I am. And I'm not confused about it one bit. So in the moment, I am who I am. But then also included in that is I was before you ever spoke to me. I was all this before this moment ever happened. He says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Before you ever stepped on the scene, I was all that I am right now. And then this is the best part. Although you don't know it all right now, I will always be this, but you will know it more and more and more because I will always be what I am right now. You just haven't seen it yet. You see, it's the continuing revelation of who God is. God is all that he will ever be. You just haven't seen all that you will ever see yet. Can you get on with that today? You have not seen all that you will ever see yet. There is always more of God to see. But I have to admit to you, when I got into this, I started with an assumption. I started with an assumption. You see, I, I thought that when Abraham, when he said Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides, I thought that he was giving a new name to God. I thought that when Moses said Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, the one that fights for us, I thought that he was naming God. When Gideon said Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, I thought that he was naming God. I thought that when David said Jehovah Raha, the Lord my shepherd, I thought that he was naming God. But I found out that this couldn't be. This could not be. And this is why in Hebrew culture to give somebody a name was to show authority over them. That's why Adam is the one that named the animals. That's why God is the one that has the ability to give us a new name because he has authority over us. So it couldn't possibly be that they were giving God a name. It could not possibly be. You see, they were not naming God. They were not naming God. Because if God's name is I am, and I am all that I will ever be, then that means that Abraham was saying he is. That means that Moses was saying he is. That means that Gideon and David were saying he is. If I am, then our job is to say he is. He is peace. He is healer. He is provider. He is our righteousness. Church, our job is to say, He is. Yeah, hallelujah. You see, if God is holy, 
And if glory is the proof, if He is I am, then our response to glory is He is. This is the part that I love. Time and time again, God said the reason there's boundaries to my glory is because if you get too close, you'll die. If you get too close, you will die. But one thing I've noticed, especially it comes forth in the, the instance when Gideon encounters the Lord. Gideon actually thinks he's going to die because he says, I've seen God face to face and he expected imminent death because of it. But God says, don't worry. He says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Why? If God always said, if you see me in my glory, you're going to die. But then Gideon doesn't die. How could this be? Because if Gideon died, then how could he go do what God called him to do? If Gideon died, how could he carry God's glory? If Gideon died, how could he go and take that moment that he had with God and use it for his people? He couldn't. It would be, it would be counterproductive for God to show him his glory and then for him to die. Because then he couldn't do anything with it. You see, the last thing that we need to do with God's glory is we need to radiate God's glory. We need to radiate God's glory. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant, law in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when he comes down, the Israelites don't even want to look him in his face. They're afraid. They're afraid to look him in his face. But here's the thing. They were never afraid of Moses before that. So what changed now? Yeah, I'm sure it'd be a little bit weird if someone's face was literally glowing. Yeah, that, that would be weird. I, I probably wouldn't want to look at that either. But I don't think that's the reason why they didn't want to look at him. The reason was they were afraid of God before that. They told Moses, please do not let God speak to us. You speak to us for him. They were afraid of God. So the fact they were afraid of Moses had nothing to do with Moses. They were seeing God on him. They were seeing God on him. See, all it takes is one encounter with God. All it takes is one encounter with the presence of God, and we radiate. We radiate His love, His peace, His joy, His power, His goodness. It gets on you, and people take notice. They see it, and they say, there's something different about you. And the thing is, it's not even you they're reacting to. It's the God that's on you. It's God that is on you. His glory gets on you. It's not just reserved in the temple. He says, come into my presence and then take it out of the temple so that others can see it. They aren't staring at you. They aren't staring at you. They're staring at God. They're staring at God on you. Church, would you stand up with me as we move into a close? I just sense God's presence here today. I sense just the glory of God just resting on this place right now. I just hear God saying this, this right here, this right here is where I belong. This right here is where I belong. This is where I have chosen to rest.
Church, if I can share this with you, I have been blessed. I have been blessed to, to study God. I've been blessed to do it in seminary. I've been blessed to do it through all kinds of books. I've been so blessed by that. But I can tell you that in all of that, nothing ever comes close to what's accomplished just meeting God face to face. No book will ever transform you the way just meeting God face to face will transform you. He can do one, he can do, he can do so much more in one minute than you could ever do in years of study. That's why it's so crucial that we make it a habit, that we make it a heart cry, a burning desire to pursue God's glory at any cost. Let's just sit here in this moment for a second. Let's let the Holy Spirit just lead us. I did not plan to close today for a reason. We just want to follow the Spirit right now. Father, we just invite your glory into this place right now. Father, we thank you for the times that you have met with us before, right here in this room, Father. Father, I thank you that we are not asking for you to come for the first time. But we're saying just do it again. Because we know you've met us here. We know that you are here. We know that your presence is here right now, Father. Part of, part of glory is the sense of weightiness. Where something becomes more and more and more heavy upon you. Father, right now we just pray that your glory become weighty in this room. That it would become heavy in this room, Father God. We ask that you would rest upon us. That you'd rest upon our minds right now. Father, we ask that you would rest upon our hearts right now. Hearts that, that fear. Hearts that have anxiety and worry. Father, we ask that you would rest upon us. I just, I just sense right now that specific to that with anxiety and worry that's the enemy's counterfeit because that, that right there becomes so weighty that's called a burden that's called a burden the enemy puts it upon you and he puts so much weight on it because he's trying to mimic what the Lord does he wants to try to control you with it. He wants to put it on the forefront of your mind. He wants to weigh you down and slow you down with burdens that are not from the Lord. It's a counterfeit glory. It's something that's overwhelming, something that overtakes you, and you don't know how you're going to get away from it. It's almost as if you're going to die because of it. 
Church, do you hear me right now? The Lord is saying that is a counterfeit glory. It is a counterfeit glory. It is not from me. Lord, we just ask right now, we just give up. We just give up any burdens that we have been sitting under. And we have the freedom to say no more. No more right now in the name of Jesus. No more of the fear. No more of the anxiety. And instead, we invite your weighty glory to rest upon us. Oh, that we would be not burdened, blessed by you. Yes, Jesus. Would you rest upon us? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Something's going to rest on you. Something's going to rest on you. Man, we just thank you, Jesus. We're going to sit this for one moment. Right now, I know that yokes are being taken off that have been on some shoulders for months, for years. They're being taken off right now. And I just see Jesus putting on new yokes, saying, come on, come beside me. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. You've been walking in the wrong direction. Come on, just put this yoke on. Just put this yoke on and walk with me. Walk with me. It's not a question of if something's going to rest on you. It's a question of what's going to rest on you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you right now that you are doing the work that only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, I'm going to give a very, 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 very soft dismissal right now in this moment. I want to ask you so politely that if if you sense that you need to leave right now, I'm going to invite you to to find your way to the, the exits. But I just ask that we would keep this place right now that we keep it holy, that we keep it quiet right now, because I have a sense that some people are being set free right now. And we just need to give them the space to do that. So if you feel that now is your time to go, we love you, we bless you, be blessed as you go. But if you, right now, if the Holy Spirit is working on you, I just invite you to stay back. Don't move on too quickly. Let the glory of God Continue to work on you and just rest in this moment. Just rest in this moment. Thank mm-hmm. you.